Hey, Coconuts. Thanks for tuning in to our weekly market updates on Tuesdays. For this week, we're going to be talking about Disney launching more theater exclusives following the success of Shang-Chi, C-Limited raising $6.3 billion in equity, Amazon's partnering with a buy now pay later company called Affirm, and Facebook debuts Ray-Ban smart glasses. What a cool future. Tune in for more. TFC's weekly market update scours the net to find worthy financial news to be further discussed and expanded. It is a banter session with facts, figures, and fun to help you get caught up in the world of investing. So join in the banter live with me, Rakesh, your host, weekly Tuesdays at 8 p.m. on our YouTube, Facebook, and Twitch. Today, we're going to be talking about a whole ton of things, a few companies, um, actually went through earnings call. Oracle is one of them. Going to be talking about some news. Uh, SEA, ma- massive, massive news there. So I think that's, that's quite interesting to talk about. We're here with Disney again after Shang-Chi. I think uh, Reggie's got more news for us. Um, and CS is going to be talking a bit more about uh, Facebook and its way into ARs, um, as well as the, um, I believe, a partnership that Amazon is having, right? Kind of a, like a buy now, pay later. So... So happy for you to, to listen to this recorded message. We're promised to be live <laughs> the week after. So thanks again. Um, and of course, right, if you haven't subscribed for uh, subscribe with us, please do so. Um, our newsletter comes in once a week, so that's always great. So please subscribe there. We're on Facebook, Twitch, Instagram, you name it. Um, and, and tell us how you are. Um, and lastly, Telegram group, join us if you haven't. Okay, that's all the, uh, that's all all the, the plugs. All the all plugs. plugs that we need. Yes, all the plugs. <laughs> Awesome, awesome. Uh, just going to skip right over, right? Yeah, skip, skip, right, skip right over. There's no messages, so we don't need to give out that plug so, <laughs> that we can receive now. But uh, CS, so why don't you kick us off? What are you going to start with? All right. So um, I think the buy now, pay later space is very active the last few months, right? Um, mm. And the, I mean, the, the latest one here was just, uh, who, who is it? Affirm. Uh, so they've recently partnered with Amazon. You saw their stock go up 20, 30%. And then the next day, they or not next day, but like a week or so later, they announced their earnings, uh, which was way better than expected, and shot up another 20-30%. Right. Uh, that said, I think uh, yesterday was a little a little more iffy for the tech space. I don't I don't actually know how a firm did it, but I think when I quickly saw it, it was down 10%. But what have you, right? Um, I think this is a very interesting space, right? Because um, number one, like Square has bought the big, has uh, put in an offer to buy the biggest player right now, Afterpay, Afterpay. which is located in um, Australia. So it firm's the second largest one. And at this moment, Amazon's essentially working very closely with them to essentially like, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they end up buying them in the near future as well. Right. And then uh, something that was also very fascinating is PayPal. They bought the buy now, pay later space of Japan. Right, and I think it's called Payday. Um, wow. And and I mean, yeah, I mean, in in, the, in Japan, from what I heard, uh, I think not even third, like seventy percent of the people there still use cash, right? But but I guess for some reason, PayPal still found it to be valuable enough to decide, hey, you know what? We maybe they're seeing that uh, you know a change in uh, consumption behavior. COVID. Where, yeah, where they're like, mm-hmm. this is actually a great. A great sec- a chance for opportunity for us to buy a company with a large uh, market and potentially grow it from there, right? Um, yeah, so I mean that's just a general thing. I, I'm just very fascinated with this space right now, considering um, you know being in a, being a financial media company, 
by the buy now, pay later, so one of the first people who reached out to us uh, at the beginning of this year. Um, so it's, it's just crazy to kind of see how quickly this, um, this space has kind of grown itself. What are your thoughts? I think a few things, right? A few things that is driving this growth of the buy now, pay later space. So if you think about it, buy now, pay later, it's not revolutionary by any chance in terms of tech. Right, so from a technology, from a processor standpoint, it's like, okay, there, there is a different way to go about doing this and you guys have sorted it out. Okay, great, good stuff. But I think what is interesting is that through exactly like what CS said, right? They're one of the earlier guys to talk to us and they entered the space uh, late last year, you know, some, somewhere, along, somewhere along those lines, right? So all your biggest players, they all came in, in around last year and the year before and thereabouts, right? So if you think about it, I don't want to like look like I'm looking to a crystal ball, but I do think that they also managed to ride through the whole COVID wave, right? So where people are trying to keep a little bit more cash, you know, drag their payments for a little bit longer, or maybe buy something that they need and, you know, they could kind of run through certain uh, payment cycles, you know, through their next few months of paycheck. So what have you, right? So with, as with any other new rise of uh, credit features, so this, this is, I, I won't say this is a credit credit, but it is actually cutting up your payment, your, your payment chunks, right? So in some ways, it is pseudo credit. And as with any kind of increase in credit, you see an increase in spending, right? So you see people consuming more, um, what have you, right? I'm sure everybody has, you know, got your first credit card, your first debit card, your first net card, what have you, man? Every time you have an increase in uh, ease of spending, uh, you know, it happens, right? So it makes it easier for you to consume and, and all that jazz. So I'm not surprised uh, that some of these companies are riding this way. And for a lot of the big uh, companies to want to acquire and be in this space, I would think PayPal Square is very serious about a business. Amazon is kind of like, I don't know, man, Amazon. But, but you know, a Amazon is Amazon. You know? what, what, what business isn't Amazon in, right? That's the real question you need to ask. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I just saw a report that they're squeezing out FedEx and UPS and what have you. Like, people are just using Amazon these days, right? So, mm. crazy, crazy guys. But yeah. Awesome. I mean, I think, I think uh, just a bit of clarification from ECS, right? So, with, with Afterpay, with a firm, with these sort of buy now, pay later schemes, is this uh, effectively paid off in credit by, say, a firm, and then it splits up into, say, uh, monthly payments or annual payments or quarterly payments, depending on how you want to pay back, and then pay back at a 0% interest rate? How would that work? Yeah, that's exactly it. So what's, what's essentially happening is uh, these companies are essentially front, fronting the bill, right? Uh, they all, you know, the way they make money right now is they charge their, um, their what do you call them? Merchants. Merchants. There we go. Mm -hmm. um, a percentage, right, to essentially be on the platform and help essentially get new uh, sales for them. Uh, and then, yeah, so then as a user, you can essentially buy now and then pay it over the next three, four installments, right? So it's three, four months worth. Um, and like for me, like as someone who's very interested in the uh, direct-to-consumer space, like every single direct-to-consumer, like anything that's above $1,000 has some sort of buy now, pay later program attached to it. Right? And it's, once again, like, like what Reggie's saying, it just makes it that much easier to, to afford at this moment. Right? Instead of trying to save up that $1,000, you can be like, oh, I can't, it's only $250 for the next four months. Right? And, uh, which, I mean, it, as, a, as a user, like, as someone who could potentially use it, that's a great thing for me. Right? Um, I can essentially keep my money a bit longer, leave it in, you know, leave it in something that pays me a small percentage of interest, 
and then pay it off or something, right? Um, but yeah, definitely the big challenge there would be how many people end up overspending because of this. And yeah. you know, what additional debts is kind of brought on. And ultimately, you know, these companies are the ones who are going to have to write it off, right? So is this going to be a cost of doing business for them? Or is this going to be, hey, we need to revisit this, uh, this whole system? Fair enough. So yeah. I think, you know, two, two things I want, I want to bring up. Right? Sorry, Reg. Getting, getting more airtime on myself. <laughs> um, you know, one of it, I think we've seen it earlier on, like before all these. So these sort of companies started a few years ago. But earlier than that, we've always had, in, in Asia at least, Singapore, one of the big ones is credit cards, right? Buy now, 0% interest for the next 12 months, 24 months, 36 months. Um, and that's effectively how I furnished my home, right? Uh, to be completely honest with you, I just whacked it. Um, and, and I think this is sort of taking that into almost every, every transaction. And if you notice, and coming to my second point, it's doing that at scale. And I believe that's what Afterpay and a firm is trying to do, as opposed to credit cards that sort of have that agreement with that merchant, for example, et cetera, et cetera. Now, second lever is, you notice the e-commerce systems are the ones sort of buying it. You've got Amazon, you've got PayPal, there's a, sort of a transaction system, but the other big one was Square, right? Now, is it, in my, in my I'm just like, questioning is is this the biggest lever for them to increase their revenue because people are already spending on them so much and now they're limited by the people's salary <laughs> so yeah. is it the biggest lever for them to increase 20 30 percent on revenue by getting these guys to spend more by acquiring by an pay later a personal personal uh, story here you know I have, I have a few friends that run smaller businesses right so chiropractor you know um what have you like interior design firms and all that right and they do say that they see vivid increase in closing rates whenever they have installment plans, mm. right? So this is a real thing. People do increase their spending uh, with ease of credit and a lower upfront costs, right? So it makes it easier for them to fork out the money. And um, it used to be very expensive with some of these Visa, MasterCard, or Net system here to process uh, this kind of payment structure. What happens is a lot of the merchants that want to have this kind of installment service with MasterCard and Visa, they actually have to take out uh, a lump sum to begin with. So they have to put in a 200000 or 500000 kind of capital lump sum with these companies or with one of the big banks. I cannot remember exactly, but they have to, the merchants have to take out a lump sum to get this credit facility to provide the installment plan for their end customers, which is why adoption is not very high. You know, what's, what a lot of these uh, new payment companies, whether it's a firm, Afterpay, Hula, what have you, they are essentially making the upfront adoption very, very easy. And they have definitely calculated their bad debt ratio at the back to know that, okay, based on our research, based on our, our, our few years of operation in a smaller scale, this is the percentage of bad debt and what have you. Right, so they have sorted out their formula at the back. If not, I don't think they can grow that far and that aggressive and be adopted and then be... It's actually bought out or integrated with other platforms. So if you just look at a firm's physical revenue, right, for F financial year 2022, they are expecting their GMV, gross merchant value, which means all the money that's going to be processed through them, a firm, is going to be $12.5 billion on average. Compared to financial year 2021, is $8.3 billion. So if you, if you think about it, that is close to a 40% increase in GMV. Okay, so gross merchant value does not directly indicate top line revenue growth, but bigger gross merchant value will allow them to have more, you know, 
more LTV, more long-term value from a lot of these customers that are in their ecosystem already, right? So interesting company, definitely it's an interesting move forward. I don't know exactly what's going to happen, especially with all, all these mergers, because they are definitely burning cash to acquire customers. But maybe, you know, it's a new form of credit, a new form of spending. We're going to see consumer change their behaviors. Yes. Yes, and that's partly what I'm a little worried about as well. So obviously you've got the business side of things, which I think is great for Amazon for Square. I think Amazon is going to purchase this if this kind of works out. I, I just have a hunch. <laughs> um, well, it's, yeah, you know, it's Amazon. Uh, but, you know, what's it, what's it do to consumer behavior? And I think that's, that's a bit of a question mark. And I think, Reggie, you were mentioning this, but, you know, where, where you know, small, small people, small families like us, uh, for example, spend more because guess what? I don't have to pay until 12 months from now. Uh, and I'm only forking out 400 bucks. So I'm not going to buy a cheap aircon. I'm going to buy the most expensive one you have and put it in all my rooms and multiply that for every single item that you have. And mm. that's going to inflate their own PL, their own cash flow, their own salary to the effect on how much they can actually save. Yeah. Um, so just want to clarify that in Singapore, um, the payment cycles is three cycles. So you have three months. Right? So if you think about it, that's also a risk management strategy by the banks or by the companies. Right? So by these payment companies, depending on how long your sales cycle, how long is your, you know, your breakdown of your payments and how big is the ticket, it's all going to affect the overall risk of uh, whether or not they can collect this money in the long term or in the midterm. Right? So um, I think they have definitely factored in a lot of uh, risk management systems you know, in their allocation of credit uh, as for all you consumers that are listening, if you are wondering all these stuff, you can definitely go to the TFC podcast. We have interviewed um, another payment company in Singapore to understand a little bit more about you know, how, how is this space going to be developing and what are your choices as an individual? Yes. Awesome, guys. All right. Reg, on to you. Oh, me. Okay. So I am the entertainment guy, right? So Shang-Chi has definitely gotten me, right? I, I, I'm not a big fan of Shang-Chi. Just had to say, it's a relatively cheesy Disney movie. Uh, I mean, Marvel franchise, what do you expect, okay? Uh, my, my vote is Deadpool, <laughs> Doctor Strange, Black Panther, right? So everyone else uh, fits the narrative a little bit too much. But, you know, it's grossing very good numbers, as we've discussed last week. You know, with uh, Shang-Chi grossing, I think, 8.3 billion, uh, 8.3 million just on the day of launch on Thursdays, right? So that is a great indicator. And Disney is definitely going to capitalize on this. And they have announced that they will be sending six films to theater exclusive release. So this is extremely important, extremely powerful. Let's not forget that Disney does make a whole lot of money, you know, billions of dollars every year having you go to the movie theaters, right? So Disney will double down the box office in response to recent, uh, recent hits, giving it leading position in theatrical releases. So some of the new upcoming films will be Eternals, The Last Duel, West Side Story, Ron Goes Wrong, and The Kingsman. They will all hit the exclusive release window of 45 days, right? And if you didn't know, Movies are the highest grossing, most profitable way to monetize content at this moment in time. 
Okay, so if you think about it, Disney has a very interesting business model, right? We've always talked about Disney as this uh, theme park, so just content uh, company. But if you think about it, they have multiple ways to monetize their content. Whether is it through merchant licensing, whether is it setting up rides in their theme parks, whether is it going on streaming services that they've built, or whether is it just going straight to the movies, right, to, to get you to purchase. So what Disney is doing, I think it's pretty cool because they're going to essentially monetize up front. The problem with all streaming services is they take time to take your money. So they have to put out all the upfront capital, which is why Netflix is super debt-loaded, $25 billion in debt, I think. Um, Spotify is also loading up debt, and a lot of all these other content plays are all loading up debt. Disney is taking this opportunity for movie releases and make back a lot of money, and all these cash will give them advantage in the streaming play and advantage in continuing on continuously creating new content. So what are your thoughts, guys? Yeah, no, I think, you know, with, with um, you, you, you ran to watch Shang-Chi right before our visit, right before our, uh, you know, podcast last week. Yeah, I was almost late, guys. I was almost yeah. late. So, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I mean, but I think that's the behavior we should be talking about, right? Because it's not mm-hmm. only you. It's my friends that are refusing to go out because of all the COVID issues. But you know what? Shang-Chi's in the cinema and they're going to go see it. Right, mm-hmm. um, and they actually, you know, effectively change their behavior for this movie, and so maybe this is what's contributing to 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 the great capital gains that that um, Disney's seeing, and or people are just bored of staying at home and want a reason to get out. Like <laughs> either way, <laughs> it works for Disney, right? And sometimes the good old the good old the good old fashioned cinemas um, are the way to go. Um, Forty five days is what you mentioned before it's released on Disney Plus. Is that is mm-hmm. that right? I mean, uh, different movies will be different for sure, but uh, the whole idea is that they will go in for an exclusive window of 45 days. Because Disney, remember the saga with uh, Scarlett Johansson? Yes, I was going to say. Yeah, must, yeah, exactly. She must be pretty pissed off right now that like, <laughs> after her movie, everything goes live. Yeah, exactly, right? One. So, I mean, I mean, she, she was the first big saga post-Disney+. Plus, right? So, yes. after... After Disney came out with Disney Plus, they haven't had any big issue until Scarlett Johansson. Yes. Right? So she came out and said that, you know, this is not acceptable. Of course, if you think about it, the biggest money comes in theaters. In movie theaters, that's where they make their billions of dollars in a matter of weeks, guys. Right? So relative to what they can make out of the streaming service, Scarlett Johansson is going to get a much smaller part. So yes. in this situation, dude, man, it's a lot of money in, in play, right? Yeah, definitely. I think Scar- Scarlet Joe was one. The other one was Jungle Cruise. I think that was The Rock. Um, that also, I think, filmed, filmed both. And this was the first one. And I think they realized... That's what I'm thinking, right? Is it money-making because they have to? Or because the what's happening is Scarlet Joe, they're like, you know what? I'm just going to put it up anyways. Get some money there. Um, so at least they, they don't complain so much. No. I, 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 I beg to defer. Because if you think about it, they decide on this strategy after Shang-Chi. So Shang-Chi is a data point, mm. right? It's not, it's not like a after, after Johansson, it was like, okay, everybody, movie release. No, right? So after Scarlett Johansson's problem, you know, a situation, okay, I'm not, I'm not, not picking on her, you know, but because I, I think as a movie star, it's, it's, a, it's a very big thing for a lot of them. They do make a lot of their money from the release and from box offices. So I totally get that she's very angry and irritated. But Disney did not budge after that. Okay, Disney really went into this new move of releasing all the new films in theaters after Shang-Chi because Shang-Chi showed a sign. 8.8 million or was it 8.3 million on the first day of box office. That is pretty wild. 
right? It's on track to break, you know, this year's numbers and there'll be a few hundred millions at least just to get from this movie. And by the way, I think Shang-Chi is a relatively low-cost production relative to all the other Marvel franchises sure. and Mar Marvel movies, right? If you've watched it, you know what I'm saying. I'm not going to spoil you, but go ahead, right? So... I think Disney is making an informed decision to get money, to get cash, so that they can play the game of streaming, so that they can, you know, reboot their theme parks and do whatever that they need to do. And that's the power of Disney. Right? I've been talking to people about the power of Disney for years and years and years, right? And yeah, I was one of the lucky people that bought into Disney in the $90, $100 range. Wow, nice. Right, yeah. Before everyone started coming, it's like, yeah, 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 yeah. If anybody could beat Disney, could beat Netflix as streaming, is Disney. That is my view because they have a big repertoire to monetize. Yeah. Nice. Yes, what are your thoughts? No, I, I totally agree. Uh, Disney has a lot of ways to monetize and them, you know, them going down this route is just, it's, in a sense, it's like, Really, just showing off to everyone else, like, yeah, can you can you continue to you know buy up content, create content, and and not take on that additional debt? Right. Yeah, mm. no, fair enough. I love I love the way you said show off. <laughs> yeah, yeah so hey, true. Disney just it's is so flexing, true. right? Yeah. At this moment in time, yeah, pure totally flex. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Nice. nice. So if you are thinking of Disney, you got to look at these different revenue streams, um, and it looks it's looking good, really. Let's see. Let's see how we go. All right, uh, next, next topic, next topic. Um, all right, we're back on to me. So we're going to talk about Oracle, actually. Oracle, um, as we know, is a big, big tech company, has been for a very long time. Um, and they just had their earnings call yesterday. Good news and bad news, really. <laughs> they beat the analyst estimates on both earnings and revenue, right? Just to let you know. Uh, they reported $10.1 in revenue, which was a lot higher than than what the analysts wanted. However, their stocks went down post-earnings call by about 8 to 10%. Now, I think that's, that, that was the reason we, I'm going to talk to you guys about this and really just put this at the foray uh, of our discussion today. Um, and, and it's really mixed feelings because they've increased dividends. Um, they said we have a good quarter. We keep it, keep it on going. Um, and this is what we're going to do. And it's a good steady stock. Now... And before I give some of my opinions, why do you think that that could be Reggie or, or CS? I guess before we dig into that, uh, for the listeners who are watching, can you just ex explain to them what exactly Oracle's business is? Because this is definitely not a company that they will be as familiar with, right? Got it. So Oracle is effectively a, a tech company. It's mainly a cloud system. Um, and they sell sort of SaaS and software as well as um, enterprise software. So they sort of create softwares for companies to run their CRM system, marketing system, uh, anything that you need to use it for, you probably can go to Oracle for it and they can develop it for you, right? So can I add a bit of color on that? Please. So Oracle, Oracle is the founder of CRM before CRM was a thing, right? So the, the modern Salesforce, Hootsuite, you know, or, or HubSpot, whatever you, all those guys, they are just taking a piece of Oracle's business and adding a SaaS model, a software as a service model, subscription model onto it to reduce the barrier to entry and kind of allow more people to use these software. So Oracle, together with uh, Microsoft, together with Sun Systems, uh, Sun Microsystems, a lot of these you know, less famous uh, software names today, they are all giants in the enterprise space, okay? If you didn't know, almost all your hotels, Marriott, Hilton, and all the guys, yep. they all use Oracle's end-to-end -end service system, right? So from the check-in to the managing the 
your, your SKUs to you know, tracking the customer service experience and all the stuff, Oracle actually has a stronghold in this hotel uh, resort management space, right? So uh, this is not the only space that they're in, but as with any other enterprise uh, software companies, they had their days. So they had their time, they had their exciting times of growth and you know, monetizing and a lot of big margins in the space at that point in time, especially in an era where there were not a lot of other providers, right? So they were, they were considered asset light because at that point in time, the margins were amazing. But as margins start to shrink, you consider them asset heavy <laughs> because your upside is limited now, right? So relative to when they are, they are a software company, but they're asset heavy. And that's why I'm going to tell a lot of people that software companies are going to be considered asset heavy if they can no longer innovate into something new that can give them high margin and their pricing power in the market. All right, so this is something that a lot of people are not aware and not looking at it from this angle yet. So yeah, Oracle is one of those guys. They have stopped innovating, in the, not, not, not stopped innovating in the sense that they're not progressing, but hey, a lot of other people are way more aggressive in the software space. Uh, look at Microsoft, look at you know, CRM, look at all these other guys, Salesforce, right? Um, yeah, Oracle is not keeping up with uh, new product launches. And I think a lot of the investors are very concerned about whether or not they can continue to grow revenues um, amidst uh, inv increasing costs of labor, right? Because as tech, tech labor becomes a crunch, it becomes more and more expensive to hire tech people. Yeah. Mm, fair enough. So yeah, yes, what are for, me, your thoughts? Yeah. for me, like I haven't heard of Oracle for, I don't know how long until you brought it up really, right? Um, right. And I, I like to think that, you know, as someone who's kind of worked in, in like more full-time roles, like with systems in place, like they have never showed up as like a potential service provider, right? So I don't, so for me personally, like I don't even know what they're, you know, what are, what exactly are they trying to compete against or uh, compete for right now? Um, and that, yeah, I mean, I guess that's, that's how I look at it. Got it, got it. Um, yeah, so fair enough. So actually, just like how Reggie was talking about the hotel industry, they've also um, very much sort of cornered the, the accounting industry for a bigger, big sort of medium to large enterprise, right? So Oracle owns NetSuite, and NetSuite is brilliant um, when it comes to sort of multifaceted or multi-country accounts and finances and all the, all the hooplas that go with it and all its nuances and all of that. Right. And they've effectively cornered that market. Zero, as we know, is trying to enter that market as well, but still still quite a way to go. Uh, and, and completely agree with you, Reggie and NCS, right? So Oracle has been around since donkey years. If you hear, <laughs> you hear, you hear Lotus notes, you probably have Oracle right there next to it, right? So, <laughs> um, of course, Lotus notes by IBM. But one of the things that probably made it fall was the fact that it misses estimates on innovation. And specifically cloud app growth. Now, Oracle is trying to innovate, right? Um, and what we could say is probably not innovate fast enough, as say Microsoft. Um, and where they are missing out is that market share in the cloud space. And if we see what they're really good at and their bread and butter effectively shrinking to a certain extent, are our investors, even though they've achieved their targets, so on and so forth, moving into maybe, number one, the market of the future, which is cloud, SaaS, et cetera, et cetera, or two, they're not, they're not innovating fast enough and their stock price isn't rising fast enough. So now uh, our, our users, our investors going more for capital growth than dividends. That's another question to even think about, right? Um, 
what what are your thoughts before we I mean if on? you if you look at you know one of their closest competition at one point in time is Microsoft right so Microsoft, IBM, Oracle, Sun Microsystems, they are all that era of software companies. Okay, don't ask me why I know. You know, I don't use them. <laughs> I just do a lot of study <laughs> in a lot of these companies. And we've done a lot of geek out, so I have a clearer idea of some of these guys, right? So um, IBM went through the process of acquiring Red Hat. They tried to do a hard pivot, a hard turn to sell off their hardware businesses and go into software. And uh, it's seeing some uh, numbers, we're seeing some changes and uh, the market is re-evaluating where IBM stands and what have you, right? So Microsoft went the other way, right? Instead of doing a hard pivot and selling out their core businesses, Microsoft went the other way of buying up GitHub, buying up Xbox, buying up a lot of all these bigger ecosystem player and it's all led by their CEO, right? So the new CEO of Microsoft, wait, what's his name? Um, Satya Nadella. Satya Nadella. Okay, yes, yeah, Satya Nadella, he was the one behind a lot of all these big cloud purchases. All right, so revolutionary individual at the point in time, Microsoft was getting a very lousy CEO. Rated as one of the worst. So after he came in, uh, he, they bought up a lot. So GitHub uh, and a lot of all the other more, more cloud-based uh, ecosystems were bought during his time, right? So they did a hard pivot and look at where they are today, right? So they have the power of enterprise softwares, which has very, very big cash flow, and they can continue to invest in the longer term growth of uh, open source and all the SaaS kind of businesses, which takes a longer time to recoup a lot of capital, right? So whereas Oracle has been stuck in the past, I don't see new innovation, and I think they're very slow. Um, yeah, relative to all the other guys, there are so many other better players. Whether you buy Adobe, Microsoft, even IBM, you know, they all have done a better job in keeping up with relevancy, right? So Oracle is one of those companies where if you compare across the best in class, they have fallen off to the back of the class already at this point in time, right? So yeah, totally fair for, for, for the company to be punished uh, from a stock price standpoint. Yeah, that said, like their PE ratio is still around 20, right? Which is still, it's still very comparable to all these, all these larger yes. companies. So as an investor, like you would need to really have like a clear, like read into why you should be looking to Oracle versus some of these other companies, which are much, like have much clearer growth plans. Yeah, yep. agree. Fair enough. I mean, I guess if you're looking at a bit of a stable income, getting a bit of dividends here and there, could be something that you might want to look into. No, even then, I think there are better companies. No? <laughs> oh, personal, oh. <clears throat> personal perspectives, not influencing, not advising and not influencing your, your, your investment decisions. But yeah, you know, guys, there are so many other better companies out there. Okay, so yeah, just saying. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Um, all right, let's, let's move on. Uh, CS, next topic. What do you have? Yes, so uh, last one or next one I have is Facebook. Um, going into, or I guess really releasing some, like one of their newest products, right? I don't even know if it's considered a product at this point. But right now what they're doing is, or what they've recently done is they're working with, um, crap, what's Ray that Ban. company? Ray there Ban. you go. Ray-Ban <laughs> uh, to create augmented glasses. So these Ray-Bans look just like normal Ray-Bans, except on both sides they have like small cameras. From my understanding, it's five megapixels, so it's still, you know, relatively like um, relatively weak compared to any phone. Uh, but yeah, they're trying to move into the whole AR space, and I think what makes this most interesting is that Facebook has spent so much like time, money, resources per se, um, building out their 
AR VR divisions, right? So, so is this, you know, th it, this product might not be the best right now, but is this really just like the beginning of a new era for Facebook? What are your thoughts? Honestly, it reminds me of like a spy movie, you know, where the guy puts on like, you know, Mission Impossible or whatever, put on that thing. And then all of a sudden you've got the whole computer in your system detecting this, detecting that. Uh, <laughs> so I think it's Except really Facebook cool. could just be like this person from this, this is like their latest photos. This is their yeah. latest photos. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is what they like. <laughs> I mean, you got to start somewhere, right? But uh, no, I think it's, you know, whether it's, it's a sort of a, of a tangent or an expansion of the Oculus business um, towards the AR VR space, I'm not entirely sure. But I think it's it's an area that Zuckerberg is is quite interested in going into wearables, smart wearables, um, and I think right now it's 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 still in testing phase or is it launched? Because I, I no, you can buy it now. Got it. Oh, very yeah. cool. Yeah. Three hundred US dollars. It's it's very early adopter right now. A five megapixel. I, I wouldn't buy it to be honest. Save my money for something else. But I think it's 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 a experiment step for Facebook. You mean like for Apple? Apple launched. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think next week we inevitably have to talk about Apple. So yeah, new yeah, product launches so. coming in for Apple. But yeah, my thoughts on uh, Facebook's hardware game plan. Okay, so Facebook amongst the big tech, it's not the only guy trying to do hardware. Of course, the the biggest one is Apple, and Apple has a lot of money coming in from hardware, right? So they have very big margins, and they have cornered. They essentially built uh, the whole walk garden idea. And they have huge margins, you know, it's not a commodity play and uh, they are way ahead of all their other people in the same league, right? So they are, essentially, they are, they are in a league of their own. And with that, Google tried to do it, right? So Google tried to buy Motorola, right, in their pursuit of trying to enter the hardware space. And I think that's one of their worst moves because they bought Motorola. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, anyway, not important. Not important. The idea is a lot of all these big tech guys, they are all want they all want to be have, be in the hardware space. They all want to have some sort of hardware ecosystem that they can play on to allow them to have the kind of physical interaction with um, a lot of their users. So whether is it Sony, whether is it Nintendo, whether is it Xbox, you know, Apple, whatever you right, all, all these guys, they have build a physical hardware in your house and you hold them around and they build some sort of cloud ecosystem on top of it with all the additional services, additional software integration and additional stuff. So I think this Ray-Ban release together with uh, Facebook, which is part of their Oculus uh, you know, integration, which they have already bought it since 2014, right? So Ray... Yes. Facebook bought Oculus in 2014 for $2 billion, right? So what I'm seeing is instead of uh, creating a pure hardware play, Facebook looks like they're going into a platform play, right? So instead of just releasing Oculus as its own gadget series, like a Xiaomi or like a Samsung or like a, you know, whatever you, they're going to build a platform. So they're going to open up to third-party developers. They're going to open up to license the infrastructure to third-party brands and grow in a much faster fashion. Right? So instead of the, it's interesting to see if this is a pivot instead of releasing their own hardware purely because they tried for Portal, they tried, you know, with the Oculus, their own glasses and, and what have you. They tried many times. Uh, but looks like they may have taken a pivot, which I actually quite like the pivot play because it's less heavy on their manufacturing processes. It's less heavy on the supply chain. Not everybody can be an Apple. Apple has optimized their supply chain over the years, man. Tim Cook has done a great job in optimizing supply chain and processes. Right, so if you think about it, I like that Facebook is doing something like this relative to doing their own uh, hardware. Yeah. 
Awesome. Um, what, what are your thoughts, CS? I mean, you asking us, what do you think? Yeah, um, I'm, I, I don't really know. Like, I don't think, like, all I, I was aware of uh, prior to, you know, this release was that they went on a hiring spree for a lot of talent, like, talent in the AR, VR space, right? Wait, so, they, do you mean like Ray-Ban or? No, no, no. Facebook. Uh, uh, Facebook, okay. Yeah, okay. yeah. So I think 20, 30% like their workforce is now in this division, right? So they are definitely trying to like really grow the space. Um, and I'm just curious, like, is this, is this related to this or is this, or how, yeah, how does that play all play out? Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I'll need a few more data points before I can really say, or before I'm ready to like, Yes, or you know, take a more educated stance. Yeah, yeah, no, fair. Ooh. Early times, but I think it's exciting though if they somehow manage to crack it. Yeah, I think nice. I think they will crack it. Is in, in their pipeline. They have to. They spent too much money already, <laughs> so <laughs> they have to crack it. And I think they're relatively close already compared to other platform guys, right? So uh, they are in the last leg of trying to crack the hardware code. So we shall see. Cool, awesome, Reg. What do you have for us? Okay, my turn. So C Limited, okay, the guys behind Shopee, Garena, C Money, whatever you. We've done a long stock geek out with Thomas Chua from City Compounding. C Limited has is has announced that they're gonna raise six point three billion dollars through equity and notes offering. In other words, they're gonna beef up their war chest, right? So eleven million. Uh, American depository shares will be sold into the market, and with that, they're gonna. Essentially, with that and their current cash and cash equivalent positions, they are going to be in a $10 billion war chest situation where they have cohort cash waiting to compete with their competitors. So I do not put them together with Amazon or the likes of Square or the likes of some of these other bigger guys that are really dominant in their space, Alibaba, JD.com. But if you compare them together with eBay to Etsy, they have at least five, five times more cash and some of these second-tier competitors, right? And during our Geek Out, we've talked about how Garena itself is churning $700 million every year for to funnel the whole growth of Shopee and whatever you. So check out our Geek Out. I think you're going to get a lot more information. But based on this new release, what do you guys think, man, about C-Limited? Are you concerned that, you know, shareholder dilution? What are your thoughts? I'm curious what they want or what they're planning to buy, right? Like, you do not raise this type of money without having like three or four targets in mind, right? Um, so I'm assuming they're already in conversations and they're trying to figure out uh, who who this you know who these people would look like. So yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if something like that pops up in the near future. Personally, like I don't follow C that much, um, but just from like when I did a quick look there, you know, PE ratio of 28 is not that high relative to a lot of competitors. So I wouldn't say that they were super overvalued or anything um, or, or to be considered like a super smart move to just like, dilute shareholders this very moment, right? Because ultimately, like, you know, if you're going to dilute these shareholders, the only way it's, it's going to be uh, accretive is if the, the, what you use it for is actually going to grow much faster or help grow much faster than the amount that you lost, right? Um, yeah, that, I mean, that's, that's really all I have at this time. Not fair enough. Yeah, I think on, on my side, it's definitely, they're raising the sort of money, they're going to expand in something. Is, are they starting a new brand? Are they pivoting? Are they sort of putting more money into, into Shopee, into Garena? I'm not entirely sure. But I would want our viewers to watch this space. I think they are going to be spending big and they're going to be spending big quick. Um, so it's, it's keep, keep a close eye on it is what I would say. 
Who's who is the biggest buy now pay later in Southeast Asia? <laughs> I don't know. I don't, I don't know, is, man. Is this a play there? Yeah, yeah. No, but they have seen many, right? So, so it's gonna be interesting if they buy up someone like that, you know, to to raise into this process. You know, whether is it insure tech or whether is it you know brokerage marketplaces or whether it's buy now pay later payment ecosystems. Wallet, e-wallet systems, um, they could easily consolidate a lot of these smaller guys in the space because a lot of them will have limited room for growth, right? And let's not forget that Cinemitter by far is the biggest and most exciting company that came out of the ASEAN region, right? So, and they, and you're right, yes, they do have a history of uh, essentially running MNAs, right? So they have, it's essentially a joint venture, right? Yeah, it's a spec, it's a, it's a, it's a listing together with Garena. And Shopee, and you know, see money after that, right? So, yeah, they they do have a history of that, and we will see if this is gonna happen going into the future, right? All in all, I think, I think I specifically brought this up because I want our listeners to recognize that hey, not all dilution is a bad dilution, right? Because, like what Michael Burry said, he told he told Elon Musk that hey, at your current valuation, I would sell like two x more shares. I'll sell a lot more shares to raise capital because the valuations are high into the roof with cash they could do so much more right and share price were being held very steady because of hardcore tesla fans right so same with c limited you see that they are going to sell up 6.3 billion and try to raise cash of 6.3 billion but yeah the prices are staying intact staying strong right so three percent down only even in the pre-market aftermarket so overall you're seeing the kind of growth and you're seeing the kind of confidence with a lot of these big growth companies Selling more, raising more cash, and going through and hustling and trying to consolidate the market. So not all raises are bad. You gotta really see what's going on, and not all cash back is good. Huh? like like they, it's, it's <laughs> like I I'm gonna say like I'm very irritated with Spotify announcing that they're gonna do a one billion dollar share buyback. They are in a situation that they should not do share buyback. They should spend more money in. in Acquiring content, acquiring position, inflex Yeah, themselves. buy TFC, Spotify. What are you thinking? <laughs> yeah, I think so. We, we yeah, have a yeah. billion. Yeah, yeah, to buy yeah, a million. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm okay, I'm okay. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. So let's, let's see, let's see, right? So yeah, exactly. Sure. They should be buying and not buying shares at today's valuation and, you know, just kind of clean down their, their war chest to compete in the content space. So they have to be vividly aware that a lot of these Chinese uh, guys are also coming in to buy content. Okay, let's not steer into a whole like Spotify discussion. We can do this another time, but I just want to take the C Limited example to let everybody know that hey, not all dilution is a bad dilution, right? It depends on what the company is trying to do and what price are they diluting at, and yeah, what is their cash position going forward. Cool. Uh, sorry, I just I I think I mentioned earlier is like they, their PE ratio is twenty eight. I was, I was actually looking at the wrong company, so I did take that back. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. I don't think like, it's really eight. So what is yeah, their PE ratio? Their PE ratio is technically negative because they haven't actually made no any earnings. Ah, yeah. uh, that's true. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, yeah. And, and that is a great lesson, right? Not all companies you should use PE ratio. PE ratio is, yes. a, is a valuation model based on historical data, based on what has happened already. So if a lot of these companies that are changing very fast, you know, their growth trajectory is, is crazy and they are still negative earnings, you cannot use this to evaluate them, right? So I think a safer bet will be the sum of parts DCF and uh, you can always go and search more about that. And we have done a little bit of discussion on our podcast as well. Going forward, we will do a little bit more of sum of parts and DCF, you know, to help you uh, close up your gap, your knowledge gap in this uh, way of valuation. Cool. Awesome. 
Ah, oh, DCF, the good old uni days when I had to do that as an exam question. <laughs> right. Dude, these days, there are like, like websites out there, you just pull it out, dum 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 numbers, pang, it comes out. Right? And it's not uh, that complicated anymore, so yeah. Jesus. All right. Awesome, awesome. All right, I think uh, in just time, we'll just keep on to the last last bit for me. Um, and I think I want to, to just structure it a little bit. So Kroger um, just had an earnings call as well. Uh, just reported that they have actually increased in terms of revenue um, if you look at a two-year revenue gap, right? So if you compare it to two years ago, they have increased their revenue. As compared to last year, they have decreased a little. Um, but there was plenty of good that came out of this report. And yet, I guess my news every time is all about the nosedive. It did, did, it did decrease in terms of stock price, right? Now, uh, and the question I want to put forth is, a lot, of the, a lot of the information out here, Kroger, in, in case you don't know, is sort of Walmart's competitor. They're really looking at the groceries. They're also in the pharmaceutical space. Um, and obviously with the pandemic, everybody was at home. Everybody's got circuit breaker, lockdown, et cetera, et cetera. People buying from them, uh, which then saw a quarterly decrease uh, in terms of the earnings report. And my question to, to Reggie and NCS is, do you think that investors are really so, sort of a post- COVID era, where they're sort of going out already, they don't care about it, they want to spend on, take the money out of these pandemic stocks and put it into other stocks that will give them the growth of the next two to three years. I mean, it's definitely hard to compare against last year, right? Last year, everyone was forced to essentially buy their own groceries. Um, and every single company kind of had, a, like, definitely got the tailwind of that. Um, so I do, yeah, I do think there is that aspect of it. Uh, Funny enough, I was actually just talking to a friend last week. Uh, I think Reggie would enjoy this. Uh, this guy is located in Canada, is Korean, and his family does own a few uh, grocery stores. Oh my god, that's like right. Kim's convenience. Oh my god, yeah, there we go. is his name Kim? <laughs> or, or... Yeah, yeah. No, his name is Jung. His sister is Janet. <laughs> Right. right, it's Appa and Amma, right? So yeah, oh my god, love it. That's why I hate Shang-Chi. I just cannot shake off Jung. I look at Jung, I'm like, that is Jung, right? There's no superhero vibes here. Just a comedian. And kimchi, where's kimchi? Kimchi, right, yeah, anyway. Kimchi. <laughs> yeah, and, and they were like, so he was just saying that um, as an industry, like this is, it's a very, it's still a very easy industry to like make money. Right? It's a very stable inflation hedge type of um, environment, right? Um, and I think that's, like, when I think about groceries now, it's like, that, I think that is what I would be looking at. It's like, you know, this is, this is a, definitely a safety play. It's definitely inflation hedge. And if people are, like, if people are, like, really bidding it down, then the way I would, I would kind of read into this is really more along, and sorry, it's not just, like, Kroger, per se, but if, like, if it's the whole industry that was kind of seeing a, a compression of multiples, um, then I'd be looking at it as like, okay, like they don't see, they don't see inflation as an actual a major issue going forward, right? So yeah, that's I mean that's that's how I would read it. I haven't read spent too much time in the um, grocery in space, the grocery space, so I can't speak space. too much about that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, yeah. I, I I totally hear you in terms of grocery space. So essentially, I am an avid grocer, guys, right? So I 
when I'm early for a meeting, I'll be at the NTC. You know, if in between something that's nothing to do, I'll be at Shengxiong, right? So I'm an avid grocer and I've been following a lot of these grocery companies in the past, right? A few years ago. Um, they are not in the media circuit today because, um, you know, there are all these other things to talk about. But there was a period of time when people were talking about fighting back the supply chain, creating their own house brands to increase margins. There was also a lot of talk of premiumization of products. And all those are ongoing, right? So a lot of your bigger brands, they whether it's a Walmart um, and Costco, they have gone through the process of premiumization of their products. Uh, um, no, Costco, Costco went through the other side, which is to create their own house brands. So Walmart went through the premiumization of their product together with Target, together with Kroger. So my biggest issue with Kroger is that it is not best in class. It's not the most interesting and it's not the most... It doesn't have the biggest repertoire, it doesn't have the biggest footfall, it doesn't have like, the most premium products. You know, it's not the cheapest. Costco is the cheapest, and we've done a geek out also about Costco. So they're so cheap that, you know, it's an advantage for them, you know. It's like an economic mode because I am so cheap, right? So if you think about it, you know, Costco dominates the space. Walmart dominates the, the whole premium space. And even for pharmaceuticals, CVS is doing a much better job integrating, vertically integrating the kind of healthcare experience, right? You have clinics, pharmacy, and the insurance providers all integrated under CVS Health Hub. So if you have not looked at this space, you should go and check out some of these other guys. And Kroger is just one of those like, in between, uh, like, 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 what are you doing? You know, like, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. So what, they are pretty big though. They are quite big. Okay, yeah. So I'm, I'm not saying that they are they're small, you know, and, and there is definitely enough for a lot of different players to be in this space. I mean, you can already tell, right? And different, and different guys will optimize their supply chain to meet their goals and their regional uh, players in this space. All right, so I'm not saying that Kroger is small. I'm just saying that relative to the other guys, you know, these, these guys are mm. not like, they're not the most interesting. They're not, the, they're not dominating in, in, any, in any sense of, of the game. Whether it's a premiumization, whether it's a house brand, whether it's a variety, you know, whether it's a footfall, you know, whatever you so they, they, they're not dominating in any of the space. But what I think, Rakesh, you're talking about is that as a lot of people are leaving, you know, the post-pandemic life, they're going to spend money in the real economy and uh, we're, we're seeing a different shift in how consumers will spend that a lot of these safe pandemic bets are getting rolled back, right? So that, I don't know. I cannot speak for it. It depends on what investors are looking for. But I do think that um, there was a few months that a lot of these retail guys were being bidded up like crazy. Right? Mm. So as of today's price, um, across the board, I do think Kroger is just not the most interesting guy. So not something I will look at. But yeah, not so advice, huh? not, in, <laughs> not recommendation. So I think just to, just to, uh, you know, to sum up here as well, it, has, it was industry-wide. So Target took a dip, uh, Costco took a dip, Walmart took a dip, Kroger took a dip. So it could very well be be industry-wide that sort of this post-pandemic era is just sort of going on. So do have a look at that. Um, and, and good points from, from our GNCS. Okay, so we're at 9 o'clock. Uh, thanks so much for listening, guys. Right, just a quick roundup. Uh, follow us on YouTube, Twitch, Facebook. We have Instagram. Our newsletters are there as well. Uh, so sorry that you, you couldn't listen to us live this week, but we promise to be back next week as well. And thank you so yeah, much for listening all the way. We will figure it out. <laughs> yes. Cheers, guys. Thank you so much. Alrighty. See ya. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode with me, Rakesh, and trust that you learned something today. If you enjoyed the session and want to be part of the banter, join our community Telegram group or follow us 
on social media. We also have a weekly newsletter to get a digest of the news we covered. To sign up, please click the description below. As always, we love your feedback. So share that with us at hello at thefinancialcoconut.com. Thanks and stay safe.